All right, so we start in three, two, one. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome to the first episode of For Film's Sake. I'm here, well, I'm Brian Archidia, and I'm here with... <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. And I'm Chris, Chris Lucky. Yeah, and here we're here to talk about film, television, and whatever the hell we want. We have a little bit of bad language. Oh, yeah, definitely. But so. uh, we'll get through it. So, Chris, how are you doing today? Great, doing good. Sweet. All right, so first of all, the thing I want to talk about, we're a new podcast. Yep. So I feel like we should explain how the hell this is going to work. Definitely. And what's going to happen is every episode we're going to have a little bit of a catch-up session. Because mm. uh, uh, we only we see each other pretty often when we go to school at the same time. When we see each other two days a week. Yep. So in two days we can talk about everything that we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to catch up and we're going to start talking about the things that we've seen, things that we've liked recently. Things that we're excited for in mm -hmm. the next following weeks or the next months or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the first 15, 30 minutes are just going to be us shooting the shit for a while. And then we're going to have a little bit of a mini segment where we do some funny stuff or mm -hmm. try to be funny. Sure. And then after that, we're going to move on into a specific topic that we want to talk about. And mm -hmm. today's a little bit more free form because it's the first episode. I want to give you guys a chance to know why we're doing a podcast about film and what film means for us. Yeah. So... Let's get let's get right to it. What what does film what? mean for you? Uh, for me, um, I grew up in watching television. Grew up watching film and uh, just uh, basically idolizing a lot of the people that I saw through the television. Wondering why their lives were so much different than mine. And you know, just as a kid, I thought that was real. You know, I thought, <laughs> I thought the people that were in the, the characters in the movies were real. The character that Ricky Ricardo is a real person that I can go see one day. You know. But, but Funny no. thing about Ricky Ricardo, when I was a kid, because I'm Hispanic, mm. uh, he was kind of the central Hispanic stereotype yeah, yeah. when we were kids. And I used to watch Ricky Ricardo, and I thought, is that what I'm going to be when I'm older? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah, it's got to be, yeah. You got some splaining to do. <laughs> shut, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Ricky. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like, I, I just thought that was all real. So I just idolized a lot of those people that I saw growing up and wanting to be a part of that world. You know, so it, it led to, to writing um, in various facets, you know, music, poetry, uh, short films, you know, things of that nature. So, I mean, um, film for me is a release, you know, it, it, it enables me to express myself the way that I want to without judgment, you know. I think that's true. I, I think, uh, same here, I was a kid. We come from very different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I came from, I grew up in Puerto Rico. Yep. For 10 years. Uh, where did you grow up? You grew up in Virginia? Or? I grew up, grew up in Charlotte. I grew up here. Charlotte? Okay, mm -hmm. you grew up in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, so we're from like very, very different cultures in terms of what we grew up watching and how we consume our yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but oddly enough, our intentions for film are the same. Yeah. Uh, we just want to tell a good story because we saw what those stories could do for us when we were kids. And I think that providing that release to someone else as well as filmmakers mm. is one of the best things that we can do in the world uh, oh, from yeah. our perspective oh, yeah. and I think that, that that's the greatest thing about film that's what it means to me film for me is nothing more than a vehicle for a good story yeah and I, a good story can do so many things for someone else and we don't even know it yeah uh, for, I, I doubt like Quentin Tarantino knows how many times I've watched Reservoir Dogs uh, and how many times it's influenced me I think he's arrogant enough to think that <laughs> everyone's watched that film millions of times <laughs> you know what with Quentin that might be a fair point yeah, yeah. <laughs> But okay, so what kind of stuff did you grow up watching? Um, it was just mostly um, black film, I guess. Uh, comedy 
you know, if um, I didn't, if I didn't see a character in a in a movie that I could identify with, you know, so another black person my age or another black person that I would grow into, you know, so those films were something I gravitated into, or even television shows like In Living Color, uh, idolizing Kenny Ivory Waynes and a lot of the people in the the Waynes family, you know, just how they would do a lot of parody and and spoof type of things, and that just seemed right in my alley at the time, you know, as a you know, elementary kid, you know, going up to junior high, you know, I would just watch those television shows and then go back and mimic exactly what they did. You know, like uh, Wayne's Brothers had uh, Pops. He made a song called um, My Love Going Bang, Bang, Bang. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he's singing this Love Going Bang, Bang. So I'm like, all right, you know, uh, 11 year old, I get up in the class and I sing this song word for word, Love Going Bang, Bang, Bang. And they had never heard this song before, you know, on this black television show, The Wayne's Brothers. And they're thinking, oh, this guy is amazing creating this. I'm like, no, you know, it's, <laughs> it's on television, clear for you to see. That's interesting because uh, I. Both of us grew up being sort of the loner, socially anxious kid. We've yeah. talked about this before, oh, yeah. uh, outside of like whatever we do. But we grew yeah. up sort of socially anxious. Yeah. And I feel like for us, all that kind of st stuff, you know, the, mm -hmm. the televisions, the cartoons, the the weird comedies that we would catch at when we were supposed to be asleep. Yeah. And our parents were stupid enough to put a telly in our room. Yeah. So we just got all sorts of weird shit, and we started basing our worldview on this thing on the television yeah. and i think that's part of why we want to be filmmakers yeah because we were so sort of isolated from the rest of the world as kids yeah that this became our world and we didn't even know that it would lead to us trying to be that world yeah, no idea. when we were adults yeah. uh, i wanted to be an engineer when i grew up mm. and then i found out that that was rubbish yeah. and then i wanted to be a biologist mm. then i found out that fuck that all right and then I wanted to be an English major. That's when I discovered writing okay. about six years ago. Yeah. And writing was fun because for the first time, I felt like I was in control of something. Mm. And writing was one of those things that I really, really wanted to do. Yeah. And I did it for a while. I got good at it. Yeah. But then I started watching film and started watching television mm -hmm. like much more analytically. An, 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 uh, fuck, I can't say that word. Analytically. Analytically, yeah. Yeah. So I started watching film not only for the entertainment value or background noise, but I started watching film. Yeah. So every time I saw a movie, I was like, why did they do that? That seems like a weird choice to do. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the story behind this? And, and I started reading about behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And to make the long story short, from the time I moved here, which was in 2010, mm -hmm. now it's 2016, it's almost six years since I've been here. Yeah. That's when I really, really, really got into film. And that's when I started learning about behind the scenes, about productions, I started learning terminology. Mm -hmm. And during the time that I was a writer, I was like, well... If I'm writing English already, and I know that I like movies, mm -hmm. why can't I try to write a movie? Exactly. And I did that, and that's when I really got into the world of filmmaking, when I started to write a movie. Because mm -hmm. to write a movie, you have to understand what a movie is. Yeah. And you have to know so many of the subtleties of, like, the film language and editing and, you know, and fucking making a budget and yeah. all that shit. Yeah, a lot goes into it. Yeah, a lot goes into it. And you don't know that when you start out as a filmmaker. Definitely not. Uh, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going to make a movie. Yeah. And then someone tells you, well, do you have a budget, a script, a plan, a story? But you're like, what the fuck? Oh, shit, I don't even have a camera. Right. Like, what do you <laughs> <mean>? <laughs> I have a budget. So I, I, feel like, I feel like because of that, because we were sort of the socially anxious kids. Yeah. And we were sort of the morbidly curious yeah. kids. That would watch a television show. I was like, I wonder why that why that was said. Yeah. That we grew up into film, and that led us into having a lot of shit to say about film. Yeah. And that's what made the podcast happen. Uh, funny story, you hit me up. 
That same the same day. <laughs> yeah. The same day that you were looking into making a podcast, I was going over the same thing. You know what? Five miles away from here in my own yeah. house. You know, talking to my girl was like, she's like, yeah, you, you should make a podcast. I'm like, oh yeah, let me let me hit up Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and then that same morning, yeah. like an hour before you messaged me, I'm sitting here at my desk, mm-hmm. just going like, I should make a fucking podcast because yeah. I got a whole lot of shit to say, no one to say it with. Mm-hmm. I should find someone to make a podcast with. Yeah. As soon as I finish that thought, I get the little blip from Facebook. Hey, you want to make a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> crazy how things happen yeah so here we are we're fucking talking about film yeah and i guess a lot of the shit that i watch i grew up i'm hispanic mm-hmm. i grew up in puerto rico yep. but puerto rico became very americanized by the time that i was starting to grow up in it okay so a lot of the films and televisions that i watched turned out to be a lot of like they were really white films white television yeah they were sort of like the mainstream content that would be categorized as a white audience. It's so like uh, Friends, uh, like, Two and a Half Men. Yeah, Friends, Two and a Half Men, uh, okay. sort of fucking Danny Phantom yeah. when I was a kid, uh, sitcoms, How I Met Your Mother, oh, yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And I say white audience with quotations and finger marks mm-hmm. because uh, I mean that as like, like a major mainstream audience, yeah. which is predominantly white. It is, yeah. yeah. So I grew up doing that. Yeah. And... I just thought that was what film was. Mm. I, I didn't think about it. I just thought, all right, well, that's what film and television is. Yeah. And I met you a couple of weeks ago, months ago. But what, yeah, saying. a couple of months ago. Yeah. And you started talking about black films and introducing me to all this other shit yeah. uh, that I didn't know about or that I didn't even think about because it just never, it was never pushed on me yeah, in my yeah. perspective. So I'm curious, what are some of like the quintessential like black films that you grew up watching? Uh, I don't know if I could be like the representative of black people for black films, but just in my opinion... Um, some of the premier black films for me is going to be, you know, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Um, another Spike Lee film, uh, She's Gotta Have It. Um, that one sounds familiar. I don't know about it, but that one sounds familiar. That sounds really good. Um, and one more from Spike Lee, gonna name um, She Hate Me. You know, it wasn't one of the more uh, critically acclaimed films that he did, but it just went over how, just this is the black issue with fatherhood, you know, how there's a pretty big problem in black culture, uh, even still to this day, with black men not fathering their children, you know, or just having multiple children and not being in their children's lives. And She Hate Me was just a complete hyperbolic take on it, you know, an extreme exaggeration of that. In the film, he ends up impregnating, you know, 40, 50, 60 women, Jesus you know, <laughs> yeah, in, in this film, and, you know, had no intention of fathering them, you know, so it was just a hyperbolic take on it. And, um, like our, like our, one of our teachers, professor said, uh, Spike Lee is very preachy. He was very preachy early on, but I felt like it was necessary just because the narrative of what black people were and in 1980 and 1990, and then him just showing the complete other side of the coin, you know, not that we don't have our faults and we clearly do, you know, but there's more to it than that, you know, just like with any other race, you know, but, um, but with film, I think it's like I was saying, the more than the white film, there's more than black film as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's, the Indian people, not Native American Indian, uh, India Indian. I mean, the Bollywood actresses and actors, they're making great films. Yeah, Bollywood is one of those weird sort of phenomenons that took over the took over Indian cinema. Yeah. But we don't see a lot of it in America. And it always looks really silly yeah. when we see it in America. But it's, it's fucking great. It is, and it's making lots of money. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. insane. It's rivaling Hollywood, I it think. Is. It's, it is. It's called Bollywood, right? Yeah. It's rivaling Hollywood in the amount of like quantity that they produce and the yeah. amount of money they're making over over back in India. Yeah, 
That's insane. I mean, they're producing massive amounts of films, and they have just—I I don't know what the population of India is, but it's ridiculous. They have—it's pretty massive. Yeah, yeah, they have the people to purchase, you know, lots of entertainment. So I mean, there's there's lots of film television mm -hmm. coming out of that area that's not really being recognized. I've seen um, Life of Pi. You know, that was one that got recognized. It's not a Bollywood film, but it's just not uh, some. It's, it's featuring a minority uh, character. Yeah. You know? Well, it's. Pretty much the whole cast is a minority it is. lead. It is. Uh, uh, same with uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire as well. That was one of my favorite movies. I watched that back home when it came out. Yeah. And that was the first movie that said, oh, maybe you don't need to have a, like a really complicated story yeah. to be able to, to make a good film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like uh, to the two points you were saying, uh, what films were I watch was I watching uh, growing up early on? It did start with a lot of the black film, but it, it didn't limit to that. You know, I mm -hmm. didn't immediately jump into... Die Hard, you know, <laughs> you know like I, I very good Christmas movie. By the amazing way. Christmas movie. <laughs> Christmas movie is what it is. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, but I, I slowly transitioned into it because there's only so much material. I mean, there, we have so many African Americans here, and so many of them putting out movies, and only so many of them are actually good. Yeah. You know? do, okay. So, do you think that I'm going to call it black cinema, okay. but I'm not. It's not just limited to black. Yes. But I'm talking to cinema that. That sort of black exploitation films and cinema black that, that, right. that focuses on, on black culture. Okay. Do you think that has improved in the later years? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think it's doing something? Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's a movement behind it whatsoever. You know? Okay. I don't think there's any kind of movement. I mean, um, this there there are more directors like the one we were talking about earlier, uh, Nate Parker. Oh you shit, know? that's right. Yeah, he's a black director, writer, producer, and I mean, you see a lot of um, black people when they. Whenever they do decide to do something like that, they end up going that route, writing their own film, directing their own film. I'm not a huge fan of Tyler Perry, but he came from, quote unquote, nothing with the fingers. But um, <laughs> but now he's close to being a billionaire, you know, from starting something on his own, writing, directing, producing his own things. You know, so I don't, I don't really see a force of people joining together to get the black movies on the road. But there's a few people that are doing it. Lee Daniels, Oprah Winfrey. Tyler Perry, Spike Lee. Oprah Winfrey is starting her own thing with movies? Uh, she she uh, funds a lot of movies with oh, okay. um, Lee Daniels, the butler, and uh, the film with um, the the very heavy set uh, Monique and uh, Gabrielle Sidibe. Mm, I haven't heard about that one. She won an Oscar. She won an Oscar a couple of years ago. I forget the name of the movie. I'll look it up during the research. But but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a big movement or a uh, collaboration of black people trying to, to push things forward. It seems very individual. Okay. But... There are, there are good movies out there, though. That's pretty interesting. I, I always like knowing where people come from in film. I, I, I think it's fun. Yeah. Uh, I came from the much more sort of mainstream background, like I said. Mm -hmm. So the, there wasn't a lot that uh, that was particularly interesting to me in terms of cinema. Because Puerto Rico has a very limited... It's not like Spain or it's not like uh, like Mexico and all these other places that they have a very sort of active film mm -hmm. and a community, even if it's limited to their own country. Yeah. Uh, Puerto Rico didn't have that because we were pretty American. So I grew up with like very American action movies, very American comedies, uh, very American dramas. Yeah. So there was no thing about culture really. It was just people doing things that happened. There was no mention of culture, no mention of like how this affects other people. It was just a, it was kind of like a snapshot in time of those movies. Yeah. And because of that, my my taste in film, I won't say it's limited, mm. but I never thought about how it could affect how other cultures are affected by film yeah. or how other cultures use film mm -hmm. to get, you know, a specific message across. Oh, definitely. And that, and the reason I'm talking about this is because of the Oscars. Yeah. All the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars are so white. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and here's the thing. When I first heard about the Oscar thing, I, I, I was angry mm. that people were calling it out. Yeah. And I was angry that people were calling it out uh, because it didn't make sense to me. Mm. Because I grew up watching that all-white content. Mm. And it didn't make sense to me that, well, maybe they just weren't any good black actors mm. in, in the Oscar selection. That was my or, first thought. Or black editors. Or black, or black editors. Producers. Or black producers. Or black writers. <laughs> you know, black or writers. black cinematographers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so that was my first thought. And then I was like, all right, well, this is bullshit. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, but then I started sort of re- listening to what other people had to say. And then yeah. I realized, fucking Oscar Isaac, mm. amazing actor. Yep. Uh, I really heard about him because of Star Wars. Yeah. But I went back and I looked at some of his work. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking fantastic actor. Inside Lewin Davis, yeah. Hispanic. He was in Inside Lewin Davis with Adam Driver, too, yeah, and Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Uh, I saw that scene. It's pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, so we got actors like Oscar Isaac, Michael B. Jordan, who did a fantastic job in Creed. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a female Turkish director. Yeah. It's the only one that made it to the fucking the nominations. Only, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and then the more I watch about all these movies and I watch sort of French movies and, and all this other shit. I'm like, well, fuck, the Oscars are really white. Yes. <laughs> Very white. We should get some variety in there. Yeah. Because there's a there's a lot of really good, talented people that are doing all this stuff. And yeah. the, and I feel like we're not acknowledging nearly as much. Yeah. Because of the way that cinema is perceived in America. Definitely. Uh, Ameri- the most... And I hate to say it because it makes me sound like a fucking film snob. Yeah. Um, but I feel like most film consumers mm. in America... Are just like I want to see the next big budget thing, and I don't care about what goes into the art. I just want to see pretty explosions. Oh yeah, and cheesy lines. Yeah, and and that's sad because there's so many people have putting in so much work into the into the art of filmmaking, and they yeah. go pretty much unnoticed because they're not they're not targeting the demographic. They're they're not. And but I mean there are a lot a lot of people that do just want the explosions. And the reason behind it is you have to look at where we are in America. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the economy, economy has picked up, but there's the, the poverty level is still low. Yeah. Middle class is still a huge class. It's basically low class at this point. Yeah. You know, we're living check to check, day to day. You know, so then when you fit in entertainment and art, when you get to that point to where you've worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and now you want to go see a film, you want to turn your brain off. You know, it's like you don't even want to sit and think about why is this, why is this, and the composition of anything. You want to see, oh, bow, explosion. You know, you know, it's like you want, you want to see pretty things on a screen, not think about it, and can make you laugh without understanding the joke. Yeah, you know? pretty much. And then, and, uh, and okay, now you say make you laugh without understanding the joke. Yeah. I want to talk up a little bit about fucking comedies mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. Comedies, listen, if you like current comedies, mm-hmm. you do you. Mm-hmm. I respect your opinion. Yeah. But I think they're shit. Nowadays, uh, comedies are not very good. Uh, depending on what we're labeling co- comedy, you know, like like dark comedy. No, 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 no. We're talking about films that are labeled as comedies, but are really mm-hmm. slightly edited improvs. You know, they're they're not playing with the frame. Okay. They're not playing with the sound of, mm-hmm. of what's going on in the cinema. Yeah. They're just people standing in a room or in a chair, and they're doing dialogue that's meant to be funny. Yeah. And sometimes it falls short because the context is kind of not there. Yep. Um, but they're not creative. Comedies are not creative. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the one director that's doing good comedy is Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is amazing. He's sport, fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, just, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Mm. American cinema has fallen bland, in my opinion. It's been a little bit bland. Because mm. we keep doing remakes, we keep doing reboots, we keep uh, trying to push a young adult dystopian Oh man! Movies I, that people are getting tired of. Well, I, I can't wait for the Hangover Part Seven. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, personally, I can't wait for when they get to like the fucking 28th. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying, let's just keep doing reboots over and over and over. Sequels forever. So I, I think that's my problem with American cinema. I, yeah. I think it's just fallen bland. Yeah, it is. And I think that because it's fallen bland, we have the people that are in charge of giving those nominations. Mm. They just want to give the nominations to the thing that attracts the most demographic. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it, it is a business. It is. But I... I'm really sad that people are putting really good work and really good skills mm -hmm. for very little recognition and very little money. Yeah. Um, in the in the fucking field, and we're not recognizing them. So I, I the Oscar thing initially pissed me off that people were angry about it, but now I get it. I I, I now get that. It's fucked up that we're not acknowledging these people. I mean, it is, you know, and it's like I, I came from the first time. I was like, it's not just there's no black people in there, yeah. you know. If there if there were seven Hispanics, six Asians, and three Indians, I have nothing to say. You know, it is a very diverse, you know, group that they chose. Mm -hmm. You know, but there is all white people, and yeah. you know, one Turkish, you know, director. director. Yeah. And, and know, even and one Hispanic one, the yeah. Renovan, Alejandro, Alejandro. I forgot Renovan. his name. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's, it's, it's saddening, you know, and, and past that, I, I was getting to the point of just perpetually having doors shut, you know, mm -hmm. as far as now with us in the filmmaking, eventually, I would hope that one day we're, we're not going to have to fund every single project that we want to do on our own 100% you yeah. know, in the future. You know, hopefully at some point, someone will be funding films for us. Now, say me and you, we um, individually make a film, mm -hmm. you know, and critically, they both are exactly the same, you know, yeah. both are very, very good. You know, your film goes on and gets, uh, and, and in this scenario, you're a white person. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm a black person, you're a white person in this scenario. And uh, your, your film goes on to be Oscar nominated, you know. Mm -hmm. And like I said, critically, we're the same type of movie. My movie is not Oscar nominated. Two years from now, you write another another film and it is complete shit. I automatically <laughs> have the advantage because I was already Oscar nominated. Exa exactly. Whenever, whenever a... Uh, a company wants to hire someone to do anything and I put my resume in and you put your resume in, that door is now open for you. So, I mean, it's just a series of doors perpetually being closed. It's not just the Oscar nomination that we can't win the Oscar. It's mm -hmm. now that so many doors behind that are being shut as well for a large group of people. Yeah. No, I, I got your me. I got what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a sad reality. Yeah. And and just, just, for, just for the sake of saying it, mm -hmm. we're not calling anyone racist that's in no, the industry. No, no. Or we're not saying that, that it's it's a consciously racist decision. It's not. I'm just saying that it's a thing that needs to be talked about. Someone needs to have a conversation about it. And someone needs to have a conversation in high places. No matter how many conversations we have, we have very little influence on, on the outcome of it. But someone in higher places than us needs to have the conversation about diversity in film. Uh, because it's a, it's a huge issue that I thought was a, a, a non-important one. But now I, I realize that we, need, we do need to pay attention to it. It's, yeah. it's important. Uh, especially because I realize now that I'm fucking Hispanic. You are, I'm yeah. one of those people that are going to get fucked. Yes. Uh, if this doesn't, you know, get addressed or if no one talks about it. Uh, and I didn't realize that before. So that's kind of why, why I wanted to mention it. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's interesting that, that we have that issue still to this day. When there's no blatant racism or blatant discrimination. But it happens in really subtle ways. In, in specific fields. I think that's... I think the one the one um, silver lining that I found in it, you know, after the the whole Oscar thing, I went and did research on it because I'm I'm thinking to myself, if if my ceiling is a critical acclaim and that I'll never be acknowledged for that, then mm -hmm. that's fine, you know. So if if, if it just my skin color is just gonna give me that glass ceiling that I can't you know break through per se, 
uh, what I was looking for is what are, what are the other avenues? What's the other route? And it's the National Film Registry. Mm-hmm. All right, the National Film Registry. Each year they choose about five films. Uh, five films um, each year. Let me see, twenty-five films each year. You know, showcasing a broad range of diversity in American film and heritage. You know, so any film that they deem to um, penetrate American society mm-hmm. to the point that is culturally relevant. You know, it will be preserved in the National uh, Film Registry. Right, exactly. You know, so I mean, there's films that people don't really think are that great, you know, that are in there. Like, critically, um, Top Gun would have never won any kind of Academy (laughs) Award, but it's in the National Film Registry. Because it's a cultural achievement. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, that is the people speaking, you know, saying this movie is so impactful that it needs to be preserved forever. You know, so I'm like, fuck the Oscars. If the people enjoy something that you make that much that it needs to be saved forever, Mm -hmm. I would much rather be a part of that group and... It's so much. The, the list of films are so much more diverse than any Oscar-winning anything. You know? Yeah, I, I I like that. I never pay much attention to the Oscars, even mm-hmm. as a filmmaker, because I felt that a, a film is good if I think a film is good. Of course, yeah. And I I felt like overhyping a movie because it won an Oscar mm-hmm. always meant a disservice to the movie mm-hmm. and whatever movies that come after it. Yeah. Uh, so I never paid really that much hard attention to awards. I pay attention to the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. And I pay attention to the Oscar nominations, but I never really care about who wins. I just want to know what movies made it in. And uh, I actually kind of forgot where I was going with it. But the what I was trying to say is that I'm glad that people are taking up the issue, and they're making, they're acknowledging this film in any in other ways that is not dependent on Academy Awards yeah. or or people that are that are sort of monopoli- monopolizing that that field. Yeah. So I'm pretty glad. Uh, Oscars huge thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know enough about it to talk about it anymore, yeah. um, but I'm excited that someone called attention to it, yeah. and I want to apologize the fact to the fact that I thought that those people were wrong, yeah. when in reality they're actually pretty right. Some of them maybe didn't approach it the right way, yeah, yeah. But ultimately they're right. We do need more diversity in film, it and is. especially the, in the award nominations. Yeah, and just to clarify, like not black diversity. Yeah, you know, just diversity in general. In we general. need more female yes. people. We need more. Hispanics, more Turkish, more French. We need everything. More everything. That's what diversity means. Yeah. Uh, we need we need more of it. And if you're a filmmaker, and you're one of those minorities, yeah. don't get discouraged. Keep doing it because yeah. we're sure sure gonna keep doing it. Damn right. Uh, so with that, we're gonna drop the Oscars thing mm-hmm. and move on to the next bit. Uh, but let's talk about Nate Turner. Nate Turner. No, or Nate Parker is the guy's name. Yeah, the um, Nate Turner is the uh, the character in the film. Uh, the name of it is uh, The Birth of a Nation. Uh, mm-hmm. Just recently, it uh, set Sundance history by selling its global rights for $17.5 million. All That's right. a shitload of money. Crazy amount of money, you know. And this is for an independent film. Now, But this... it's an independent film also featuring black leads, a black story. Yes. Uh, black producer, black director, mm-hmm. which is the same fucking guy, by yeah. the way. Yes. Which is amazing. Directing, mm-hmm. writing, producing... And starring in your own fucking movie. Yeah. That's a hell of a workload. Yeah. I mean, it was done in Citizen Kane, but I mean, it's, it's not typically done at a high level all that often, you know, to have, to wear that many hats and still do it successfully. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm really rooting for this guy and to see his film Birth of a Nation whenever possible. Because, I mean, $17.5 million from an independent person, like, wow, that's eye-opening. Yeah, that, that's pretty insane. Yeah. And. No, I'm I'm ex- I'm excited for that film now. I didn't know about it. I've yeah. heard sort of the name Birth of a Nation. I've mm-hmm. heard it around, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what went behind it. Yeah. And so uh, when we're done recording, I'm gonna definitely research more about it because I'm excited for that movie now. I want to see what it has to offer. Oh yeah. 
Uh, we're nearing the 30 minute mark, right. which is about the point where we cut off the catching up and we move on to what we want to talk about uh, just for future episodes. So let's do a little thing mm-hmm. where we try to summarize a movie in one minute. All right. Sweet. Uh, put up a timer. Do you want me to give you a movie or do you want to do a movie or do you want to choose one? Uh, I guess it would have to be a movie that I saw, unless mm-hmm. I, I can uh, make up what I think the movie is about. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's do it. So I give you a movie. All right. Uh, I'm going to make sure that you've seen this one. I know you've seen that a lot. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you one movie, and right. you're going to tell me what you best think summarizes the plot. All right. Sweet. All right. We are at 28 minutes. So when that shit hits 29, mm-hmm. uh, or 29, 30, yep. we're going to start. So tell me about Inside Man in one minute. In, Inside Man? Inside Man by Spike Lee. Inside Man, it's a, it's a heist film, but not your typical heist film. You don't really know where it's going. Um, he's going to have a lot of people dressed up in uh, jumpsuits. You can't identify who the uh, the actual bad guy, quote-unquote, is in this film. Um, not as much shooting, bang-bang, shoot him up that you're going to find in a, lot of, uh, in a lot of films, but it's very much worth the watch as far as... Um, 30 just, seconds. Just not knowing what's going to happen at the end. I'm not going to give too much away because you should see this Spike Lee Inside Man. But um, it is st- it's starring Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, and um, a few other uh, actors that I couldn't think of the name of. But I highly recommend the film. And uh, it's a great bank heist movie by Spike Lee. Also, cinematography for that movie. You did it. You did 10 seconds to spare. Um, cinematography for Spike Lee's Inside Man. Fucking amazing. I love that film. Nice. And we are it. <laughs> you know what? That's one Good job. Movie in a minute, Inside Man. Go check it out. All right, yep. All right. Cool. We're gonna be right back. We're gonna take a little break. Get some water. Epic fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long ass soundboard. It's still going. Oh yeah. Like a fucking Donald Duck or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna be back to talk about some Hateful Eight and some of the other big films that came out in December of last year, which was a pretty big month for film. Yeah. I think. All right. Cheers, we'll be right back. Wait. Nope. <laughs> That's what we leave that dead air for. Yep. Okay, so we're back. We're back. Hope you enjoyed the little whatever 10 second thing I put in the in the fade in and fade out. Mm. Well, we were gone for 10 minutes. It's like pornography for like 10 seconds <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so we hope you really liked it. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, here's, here's, okay, this is, this week has been particularly difficult for me because I watched The Hateful Eight about a week and a half ago. The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight, mm. which is one of the most, I think, expected Tarantino movies since he, since Django was his last one, right? Yeah, yeah. Since Django? Yeah. Uh, this is first movie since Django, and everyone was super fucking excited yeah. for The Hateful Eight. Oh, yeah. And with good reason. It's, it's a good movie. I'll say that out front. I think it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. But I have some shit to say about it. Let's go. And we've... But first, I want to mention that this conversation has been waiting to happen for about two weeks. Yes, it is. Because he watched the movie, and it's like, you got to fucking watch this movie. Yeah. Because I got a shit to say about it. So yeah. I watched it, mm-hmm. and then I realized that I have a lot to, uh, lot of shit to say about it. So let's move on. Let's talk about The Hateful Eight. I guess we should, we should preface it by going in. Before we seen this film, we were huge, and still still am, you yeah. know, huge Tarantino films, uh, film uh, lovers. You yeah. know, so I mean, the likely chance of me having a bad thing to say about Tarantino or his film is very, very small before this film came out. Now, you know, I was just blinded by how amazing the previous movies were. Cool. Same here. That. I'm a Tarantino yeah. fanboy. I, I absolutely fucking love Tarantino. I yeah. love his movies. Yeah. And I, I and 
whatever bad I have to say about the Hateful Eight, mm. I don't think reflects bad on Tarantino. It, there we go. Yeah. It just reflects back on what my expectations for this movie were, mm-hmm. and what I think, or where it fell short, and what it did right. Yep. So why don't you start us off? Because you're the one that has a lot to say about this movie. Okay. Um. Firstly, all right, the Hateful Eight. Um. First of all, I want to say it's like it's not a bad movie. Like you were saying, it's not a bad movie. I'm still grading it as B minus, solid B. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, there were a number of things that that I just it, like. I say it wasn't for me. It wasn't the movie that I was upset by, it was the direction. Like, I, I was just expecting something different. I was expecting growth. But um, it's a little bit off the what subject, do, what, but not... What do you mean by growth? All right. Um, like with the Corn Brothers. Mm-hmm. You'll see the, you'll see them make one film, and then the next film, Inside Lewin Davis. Then the next film is Hell Caesar. You know, it's, you'll see a completely different style, you know, from one to the next. With, um, let's see... Uh, you're talking Joss, about variety. Joss, Joss Whedon. Hmm? You're talking about variety in, in their films? But the variety and their style. Okay. Their, their style and the cinematography, you know. It's like the, the Corn Brothers have clearly grown. And that's not to say that, that Tarantino hasn't grown in his, his style and his cinematography because he definitely has. But his writing and direction, I don't see the growth. And I, I don't think that I should be looking for it any, any longer. You know, because when I'm looking at Spike Lee... I've seen him do the same type of movie where they have the same style for almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. I've seen Woody Allen have the same type of movie for almost 20 years now. Tarantino, the same type of movie. The Fairley Brothers, the same type of movie. Yeah. You know, so I mean, maybe that is just his genre. That's his wheelhouse. And I need to expect to see someone be called nigger 50 times in every movie that he's going to make. You know? So, yeah, so what you're saying is like, like, like all of those other directors that I mentioned, they've fallen into their pattern. Yeah. They have a pattern now, and yep. they've established it. Yep. And when you go see a Woody Allen movie, mm. you're going to go see a Woody Allen movie. Exactly. You know what you're getting. Yep. Same with a Spike Lee. You know you're watching a fucking Spike Lee movie. Yep. And I think that's what's happening with Tarantino. Because mm. we only we only have eight Tarantino movies. Yeah. Compare how many movies does Spike Lee have? Spike Lee's up to 17 or so. 17? Yeah. And Woody Allen must have a shit ton by now. Yeah, he's crazy movies. So too. these are directors that have, uh, I mean, 20 plus, 10 plus movies. Yeah. And Tarantino only has eight yep. now, which I think that... It's about the time that people are realizing that, yeah, he does have a pattern. He does. And he's only going to make 10 movies, so I guess we're not going to get tired of it. Well, he says he's only going to make 10 movies. Yeah. I, we're we're going to see about that. Yeah. But I think that Tarantino has fallen into a pattern. And it's not a bad pattern. It's no. a good pattern. That's cool. But uh, as, a, as a Tarantino fanboy, and Tarantino was the guy that made me go like, oh, maybe I should try to make a fucking movie. Uh, as that kind of Tarantino fan... When you realize that he has a pattern, mm-hmm. it's a little disheartening. It's not bad, but it's a little disheartening, yeah. a little discouraging. Yeah. Um, but about the movie, my opinion on the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really good movie. Yep. I thought it was really well done in sure. terms of uh, you know pacing and, and all that stuff. It was two, uh, The runtime was like 2.48. It was a long ass movie. Yeah, it was a really long yeah. movie. So in terms of pacing, of course, it's going to be a little slow. Yeah. It's going to be talky. Gonna, and it's going to yeah. pick up. It's going to be talky because yeah. of Tarantino. Yep. We focus, he focuses on dialogue. Yeah. And I really like, like I really liked all of that, mm. and I thought that structurally very sound movie. Yeah. But I didn't like any of the characters except for Sam Jackson. Okay. I did not like any single character mm. except for Sam and maybe Shannon Tatum. Mm. Those were the only two actors that made me go like, "Oh shit, this is a Tarantino movie." Yeah. Uh, Tim Roth was great. He's a great actor, but I felt like Tarantino didn't use him in this movie. I'm I'm, can't, I'm trying to think of uh, I can't think of many examples to where he gives his characters much depth for you to really feel anything for the character. Yeah. Django Unchained, I guess, to an extent, you know, because it's a slavery type thing. Well, it's also a redemption movie. Yeah, exactly. Django Unchained is a redemption movie. It is. Yeah. So 
immediately you know you're supposed to be with Django throughout yep. this whole journey. Yep. And with uh, Christopher Watt's character mm. sort of teaching Django the world the world of a free man. Yeah. So I think we have an emotional connection with Django. With that, yeah. But in Hateful Eight, there's none of that. I mean, these people just kind of show up in a blizzard. Yeah. And they meet each other. They, knew of, they know about each other. They have mm. a reputation. But they don't know each other. And their relationship sort of forms really fast. Yeah. And there's no real build-up and payoff of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when characters die, and they die pretty fucking horribly. That's pretty stereotypical for <laughs> yeah. Tarantino. So when characters die, you just feel like, all right, well, he's dead now. He didn't do it. Yeah. Because it's, it's a clue. It's a clue movie. Basically, it's, yeah. it's It's a gory Tarantino-esque clue movie. Yeah. And and when those characters die, you're like, well, he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And you see Tim Roth get shot. Didn't do it. Spoilers, by the way. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that the build-up and payoff wasn't there mm-hmm. for, for The Hateful Eight. And I think that none of the characters were really likable, except for Sam Jackson, because he was the funniest one. I, I, I despise Sam Jackson's character. In that really? Movie. I do. Uh, I do. You, well, you despise them in terms of, like, you despise what he does in the movie, or you despise the way his character was created? Oh, what he does in the movie. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's like not Sam Jackson, it's just his character. Okay, you yeah. know, so I mean, if so to that, I do credit Tarantino for making me feel something for a character. That's true. You know, regardless if it's good or bad. You know, but I did come off despising... Um, Samuel Jackson's character, you know, even even if that scenario to where I believe it was supposed to be just all made up just to uh, to rile the uh, the old white guy up, to, yeah. to put him in a point, you know. But it's, I had to visually see him, you know, <laughs> cop rape a guy in the middle of the snow, but naked for what, what like 10, 15 seconds of just being face raped. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, no, yeah, that scene took that was a four minute scene if mm. I'm not mistaken like that was a pretty lengthy dialogue scene yes and and here's the thing that's my favorite scene in the movie mm. because it's a Tarantino dialogue scene it is. it's a character playing with another character mm. that's it and the dialogue is amazing it's smooth the and dialogue Jackson's, is nice. yeah and Sam Jackson's delivery of it is fucking perfect yep it's my favorite scene in the movie yeah uh, but true it makes it makes none of these characters are likable mm. at least traditionally all these characters are assholes yeah and complete pieces of shit yeah uh, but you sort of want to see where Sam Jackson's character ends up. But you don't see that from any of the other characters except for maybe, not even Channing Tatum, no. which was the most interesting addition to the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of saddened by that because in Reservoir Dogs, mm. you're, in, you're thrust upon a situation and then you see the aftermath of the situation yeah. and then you're sort of taken between clips of what led to that situation yeah. and then, or what led to the aftermath of the situation. Mm. And then how they're dealing with the and then what how they're dealing with the aftermath. Yeah. And that's sort of edited really clever. And I didn't see any of that really clever editing that I usually saw in our Tarantino movies. And I know why. I know mm-hmm. that his editor died sadly, yeah. which yeah. is a huge shame because she was really talented. She was. And and now he has this. Uh, I think it was the assistant editor. Yeah. And now it's the editor. It, yeah. Uh, he did work on uh, Fast and Furious. Okay. You know, which is an amazing franchise. Apparently, it's grossing millions of dollars. So. Um, he's, he's doing very well, but it's, he's, his editing skill doesn't compare to the things that we saw pre-Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that makes me a little bit sad, and it's nothing that anyone has any control of. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a fact that style's got to change now for the person that's editing it. Yeah. But I didn't see any, other, I didn't see any clever editing. No. It was really well put together, and it looked beautiful, but I, looked didn't beautiful. See any, I didn't see any clever uses of edits. Mm-hmm. And, and there was this weird shot with Samuel Jackson in slow motion. When oh. he was like, shoot that bitch. Yeah. Shoot that bitch. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is that shit? Yeah. Um, he's it a few times like that, yeah. 
Really? In the movie? Yeah. yeah. He used that slow motion thing at least twice. Oh, really? I only noticed that one time. It was or, a Simon Jackson movie. What, you talking about when he's laying in the bed? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No. One time before that, yeah. Gosh, I didn't even notice it. Um, but apart from the characters, which were all well-built, I just didn't give a shit about them. Yeah. Especially the female character. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, one of her teachers said that she didn't care much for the movie because the character was abused so much. Mm. But and I, I agree that they hit her a lot and they yeah. like demean her a lot. Yeah. But I didn't give a shit about a character to feel bad for her. Why should I? I have no idea what her backstory is, what she's done to be. Exactly. They never yeah. tell you who she killed, what no. she did. No. She's just kind of there. Yeah. And then Channing Tatum's gonna rescue her. Yeah. It's, it's like, just, so I'm, I'm supposed to feel bad for her that because she's a woman. You yeah. Know, not because of any kind of backstory, anything behind that, you know? So, I mean, it's, I need some backstory. So, I didn't really care. She felt like just one of the guys. Yeah. Because she, she was a much a piece of shit as any of them. Yeah. Um, so, from that point, and like, whatever. Characters yeah. are whatever, except for Sam Jackson. Yeah. And I liked Tim Roth's delivery of his character. Mm-hmm. But Tarantino does nothing with that character in that movie. Mm-hmm. He's there if he gets shot, that's it. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. But... Fucking, here's another thing I gotta say. I love Tarantino movies. I mm-hmm. love what they do. Yep. They're fucking great. Mm-hmm. But Tarantino, man, you gotta give us something a little, you gotta give us a little more than niggers and blood. Yeah, I don't I, think he, I don't think we're gonna get any more than that. It's <laughs> niggers and blood. I, I mean, really. <laughs> like, that's what I was so disappointed about. I was like, why? It's like, I don't wanna limit what his characters can do or say. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, because I don't, I don't wanna be limited myself. I, I feel like I have the artistic freedom to be able to create a character and put them in any universe that I want and have them to have their own mind and say whatever they want and to say. And behave however they want. That's Exa- your right as an artist. Exactly. You know, so I feel like he definitely has that. But it's just, I have to question when every every, every character that you, every, every film that you're making, you're creating characters that are going to be in a scenario to say the word nigger. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just... It's, it's odd to me. You know, like, like I said, one of my favorite scenes in any movie is Pulp Fiction when Tarantino makes a cameo in his own movie just to say <laughs> the dead nigger storage. You know, it's like did, he, he put himself in Did you see a it. sign that says dead nigger storage? No, you know why? Because destroying dead niggers ain't my business. Exactly. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> one of my favorite fucking lines. Yes. You know, like he, he put himself in his own movie just so he could say the dead nigger line. Yeah. You know, and I thought, I thought it was amazing. But it's just like, why do you insist on every film that you make that a character has to... It's like he just seems too infatuated with the word nigger for some reason. Yeah, I think it comes from from his black exploitation start. Because his movie started as black... He's technically a black exploitation director. No. He, I he mean, technically is. He, he exploits a lot of the a black culture. Director. He's technically a, a Japanese... Like, he's technically a lot... He goes into, like, a lot of different lines. He does. He does do I that. I can't pin him down to only black exploitation. I wouldn't say only black exploitation, but yeah. his it's movies like exploit... Yeah, his movies exploit a lot of black culture. It does. And I think he's just fascinated with it. Yeah, I don't think he's racist. I think he's very fascinated to a point, but why we gotta we gotta start questioning it we, yeah. we gotta do because i don't i don't i don't think that he does it in sort of a spiteful thing no uh-uh. but it's getting a little bit senseless i mean the thing is is if if i were to make a film and then one of my characters says faggot mm-hmm. and it could go over very well just like the dead nigga storage yeah. but if seven films from there and every single one of those films you know what you know what in terms of nobody says nigger and inglorious bastards that's you know, true. But there are no niggers in his glorious bastards. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm just saying. You know? But but and, but but every film he's making, you know, ways to say nigger. So if, if if in seven films after that, after I had someone say faggot in that film, then the second one someone says faggot, and the third one someone says faggot, and from there on out, it's like then you have to like look at me a little bit differently. Maybe maybe I'm not homophobic homophobic, but 
there's, there's something, something that you're exploring exactly. by using that word constantly. Exactly. And 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 I hate to say it. I hate. I really do hate to say it. But I think I need a little bit more than niggers and blood from Tarantino. No, I, I really do. do. I want. I want to see. I want to see more. Like I. I feel like the wit that was in Pulp Fiction and the wit that was in, in Reservoir Dogs mm. and what's the the other fucking one, Kill Bill. Mm. I feel like the wit is not there anymore. Mm. It wasn't there in Hateful Eight. And I, I'm not. And like I said before, I'm, I'm not saying the movie was bad. Mm-mm. I fucking love the movie. It's a solid B movie. Yeah. It's a solid, really good movie. It is. And it's probably one of the best movies that we're gonna get in 2015. Uh, it's probably in my top five or top ten. 2015 wasn't a great year for movies for me. <laughs> I would have to look at it, but yes, it, I think it's definitely in my top ten. Yeah. You know. And uh, and, and because of that, but uh, fucking dude, Tarantino, you gotta get your shit together, man. Because I mean, uh, I'm, I'm starting to lose a lot. I'm trying. I'm starting to lose a lot of hope. I really am. I mean, we got two more films from him, and then we'll see after that. You know, yeah. maybe he'll leave his wheelhouse after he's proved that he can do something very, very well. Because I mean, what he is doing, no one can touch him at that. No, you know, he's he, really good at that. He, he's great at what he does. So I mean, maybe he wants to prove a point with ten films and then move on from there. But as far as what Tarantino does, no one does it as well as he does. And I will yeah. give him credit for he's that. A, he's a genius in his own right. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we're starting to get a little bored with the pattern. Yeah. And I think we should. I think he should really start looking into fixing that. No more niggers in blood, Tarantino. <laughs> no more damn niggers in blood. But apart from sake. that, yeah. apart from that, the movie, the action of the movie was good. Yeah. I think the pacing was good. If a little slow at the beginning. Yeah. But that was because uh, we were introducing the two real important characters, mm-hmm. which was uh, Sam and Kurt Russell. Yep. Uh, so the pacing was a little slow at the beginning, and then it picked up. But it's a clue movie, mm. and about halfway through the movie, we find out who poisoned the coffee. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give a spoiler alert. Yeah, uh, we can put something at the beginning so they won't listen further if they don't want spoilers, because it's about to happen. Yeah, so uh, we find out this whole shit happens at the cabin, and we find out that Shannon Tatum's character is the sister of Daisy Duke. Mm-hmm. And he found out that he said to rescue her because Scott Russell's going to take her to the hangman. Yep. And, but we and don't when know the that. hangman catch you. You ain't gonna. You ain't gonna get shot. You're gonna you hang. hang. There you go. They repeat that in numerous times. <laughs> <in the film>, so, <laughs> all right. It's, it's a good line. It I is. really liked it. It's yeah. a good line. It is. But uh, fucking Chan Tatum comes in, mm-hmm. and we see about halfway in the movie. It does a flashback to the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but we see what's going on in the cabin, yep. and we, it gives us information that lets us know that Tamil Jackson knew something was wrong from the second he walked into the cabin. Yep. Uh, but then, by revealing that Shannon Tatum's the one behind that, mm-hmm. at the half point of the movie, when you flash back into present time, there's no more mystery it's about none. who did this, who poisoned the coffee. Exactly. It's gone. The mystery's gone. Mm-hmm. And the fun that I was having with figuring out, okay, that was, maybe it was uh, the sheriff mm-hmm. that poisoned the coffee, and he just pretended not to drink it. Maybe it was uh, Sam. Maybe it was one of the characters. All that fun that I've been having, mm-hmm. deducing who poisoned the coffee sort of ruined by the addition of this character that we didn't know about until this point. Yeah. And I, I, I think that was my biggest problem with it. It, it, it was really fun for an hour and a half. Mm. And then it was really fun in a different way. It was just enjoying the aftermath of, of that. But it was an, it was, it, if that had been just reserved mm. for the last 30 minutes of the movie, and we just had a lot of fun with the first two hours about mm. trying to figure out who did it, mm. I think it would have been a better structure for it. 
I mean, it goes back to the what you were saying earlier, the character development. Like, I didn't care who poisoned the damn coffee. Like, I give a shit less, you know? I mean, he's going around, people are dying callously. You know, Samuel Jackson just shoots you right in the head up. Well, he didn't shoot many because um, she didn't like uh, Mexicans, I guess was, was the thing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like he's shooting people and it's just so callous. I mean, and it's in every Tarantino movie. Yeah. I mean, in um, one, of, one of my my favorite Tarantino movie, uh, Jackie Brown, Robert De Niro's character shoots a young blonde girl, you know, just shoots her right in the stomach. And it's like they're, they're just walking through a parking lot, turns around, shoots her twice and one more time when she's on the ground, you know, and then just walks off. And but I feel like that shooting was to deliver a joke. What do you mean? No, deliberate joke. That 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 scene mm-hmm. was delivered because he was annoyed at her yes, talking. Yes. And he was like, if you keep talking, I'm going to shoot you. We didn't say that, but it's, she should have understood that something was going to happen, that she just yeah. didn't keep nagging on you. Yeah. So that's for that's for delivering a joke. Mm-hmm. I think that scene, we see your original character's annoyed. Mm-hmm. This lady keeps fucking talking, mm-hmm. and he says, I caught a guy that's going to shut her up anyway. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots her. And then he does some quip about her being annoying. Is is every death in a Tarantino film not a joke though? Uh, not in Hateful Eight. It didn't feel like a joke. In Hateful Eight, it just felt like gore to me. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It was, just, it was like I said, it was done so callously. Yeah. I mean, it was like there was no, there, there was no one on one. Let's have this last moment with this character. It was just a bow. Okay. Yeah, it was fucking. Which I appreciate that. Mm. Um, but think back and 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 a lot of like the significant deaths in Tarantino. Let's say mm. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, when they shoot uh, Marvin, mm-hmm. the guy in the trunk. Shot him in the fucking head. So, yeah. Shit, you just fucking, what the fuck, man? Yeah. That kind of scene. Yeah. It was it was a joke. You were there in the car, yep. and he gets shot, and that leads to a whole 15 minutes of yep. a joke. Yeah. Uh, but in, in The Hateful Eight, they just get shot. There's no delivery to the shooting. That's what you're saying, yeah. There's no setup to the shooting. Yeah. They just get shot. Yeah. And I and that, and that bothered me because I because I'm now I'm at a I'm, I'm at a point in Tarantino's career mm. that I expect visual comedy as well as as a, as dialogue comedy. Yeah. That's just kind of what I'm expecting. Yeah. I I feel like that was my biggest disappointment. It was a good movie, but it's by far not one of Tarantino's best. What's I your think. um? What would you rank your favorite Tarantino movies? Your top three. Definitely, Reservoir Dogs is the first one. That's the classic. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is the second one, mm-hmm. and the third one is really up for grabs because I really like Django, mm-hmm. and I really like uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. I think they're really good movies. I think Inglorious Bastards win. I love Inglorious uh, Bastards because Inglorious Bastards was kind of like a historical fantasy, just mm-hmm. like a just like a historical fetish. I would describe it. Yeah, and uh, and I really like Inglorious Bastards. It's funny at every time. Brad Pitt does an amazing job. Yeah. Like, bring me 100 Nazi scalps. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, shit, this is a great Brad Pitt character. He delivers that character perfectly. Yeah, and I care about every one of those characters immensely. And the, and the comedy in there is spot on, too. Exactly. You know, the guy, Dominique DeCoco. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> the comedy there is spot on. It's really, and really good. It's really good filmmaking, too. There's one scene where uh, Brad Pitt is talking to a German, mm. but the German doesn't know English. Yeah. So they bring in uh, the bear Jew, I think. Yeah, or yeah. One guy that's one of the guys, yeah. And, uh... It does this really cool thing with the camera where it starts in the center with the German mm. and then Brad Pitt starts talking and it moves to Pitt mm. and then it moves to the German who's translating Pitt's line uh, and then it moves to the, the guy in the middle and then it moves to the German who's speaking German to the guy in the middle and then it just sort of keeps going like that to whoever's talking. Yeah. And the camera moves maybe six inches every mm. shot but it's it's an amazing little cool quip of dialogue and filmmaking. Yeah. And... I think that's why I love that movie, and I think that's what was missing from the Hateful Eight. Yeah, there was not a lot of cinematography looked gorgeous. It did, but there was a not there was not a lot of that clever 
filmmaking. Yeah. And and that was kind of sad for me. I would rather him take five years and just come up with a better written uh, script as far as dialogue. Because that's what really made the films for me in the first place. Yeah. Like the, the action and the gore, that was just the icing. Exactly. You know, the, the fact that he could write such an amazing film in Reservoir Dogs. You know, that how much did it take to, to, to make Reservoir Dogs? You it know, was a very cheap movie. It was a very cheap movie because the script was so spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, can you make... Can you make a hateful eight for ten thousand dollars inside of a shitty cabin? You could, you sure could. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could make that very, very cheap. But there, but there would need to be a lot of improvement in the script. In the script, yeah. exactly. That's, that's the point. It's like that exact same film could be shot for ten thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. the script would have to be so much better. And it's like you can't throw millions of dollars into a film and, and expect me to like it because it looks pretty. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give it credit for looking great because it does. No, the movie <laughs> looked amazing, yeah. and, I, and it was a lot of fun to watch. But yeah. it was nowhere near. The emotional investment that I had with the rest of our dogs for Pulp Fiction. No. And that's a bit of a shame because yeah. I, I really like Quentin. Yeah. Uh, but, Quentin, according to you, you have two more movies. Yep. Uh, let's see what you got for those two movies. I'm going to be with you, man, through your career. I've been with you through seven movies. I haven't watched two of them. Mm. No, I haven't watched, uh, yeah, two of them. So I'll be with you for six movies. All right. Uh, I'm going to watch the other two eventually. All right. But you got two more, and I'm going to be with you till the end. But please, no more niggers from blood. I'm I'm kind of done. Like I'm 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 kind of done. Like I'm I'm not gonna pay my money to go to a theater to see another Tarantino movie just because I know what his shtick is. Yeah. But I mean I'm gonna see the movie. But I don't think I'll pay another twelve dollars, you know, to see it in the theater. I think I got one more movie in me before I give up. I was yeah. I thought I was in after Django. So oh really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I I like Django. I think I yeah I think I got one more movie mm. before I, I before I make call it quits and not pay for another Tarantino movie, mm. uh, which is a shame, but. Anyway, Hateful Eight, great movie. If you haven't seen it, absolutely pay to go see it. Yeah. Uh, if you like Tarantino, uh, you're going to like the movie. Yeah. But you might be a little disappointed with some of the elements that we just talked about. Yeah. But I, I don't think it breaks a feel for me. It just makes it a little bit less enjoyable than a lot of his past work. Yep. Uh, so absolutely go see it, support it. If you were lucky enough to catch the road show, the seventy millimeter then show, then I hate you. Then. Yeah, we're really <laughs> jealous because we tried to catch it, but it didn't. It happened too far away, and we just couldn't do it. Uh, so if you managed to cast a road show and you were listening, tell us how that was because that must have been an interesting experience. Yeah. I want to know about it. Uh, put your experience in the comment. Tell us what you thought about Hateful Eight, and then uh, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about the Hateful Eight. Let's have a discussion. And let us know what you think about the damn niggers and blood. Like, I mean, <laughs> like we can't be the only ones that's seeing this. You know, maybe you don't have a problem with it, but you do see it. <laughs> you yeah, know? I, I want people to acknowledge that shit because yeah. it's yeah. happening in every single. I think the only two movies. That didn't have it were the Kill Bill ones and Inglourious Bastards. Kill Bill and Inglourious Bastards, yeah. There's three movies that didn't have excessive use of the word nigger. They had no use of the word nigger in either one. You know, he had he had a he had a chance to call Vivica Fox a nigger in, in Kill Bill. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he opted not to. He didn't and, do it. No, he didn't. So we know that you can do it, Quentin. You can, he can, you can do make it. <laughs> three very good movies without exploiting that sh- the shock value of that word, yeah. which I think is a minor thing. The more that we use, it is. Yeah. So you have three good movies without doing it. Let's see if you can make two more and not use racism as the shock factor yes. for your movies. So, okay, that was Hateful Eight. Yep. And we're about 25 minutes into this segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what did I write about here? I made a fucking outline to see what we would talk about. What you, Mr. Organized? <laughs> Trying to be. All right, so, December 2015. We didn't have the podcast back then. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would have talked about this back in December. Please be Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I'm going to duff totally talk about Star Wars. <laughs> what the? Are you kidding? Dude, mm-hmm. that was the first Star Wars movie that made me feel like a Star Wars nerd. Yeah. Because I luckily, I mean, unfortunately, I was not born 
Mm. when Star Wars became a thing. Yeah, I wasn't born in the 70s either. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I wasn't born when Star Wars became a thing with 4, 5, and 6. Mm. I was born when the fucking prequels came out. Mm. And so that was my first exposition to Star Wars, the prequels. Yeah. And I thought it was, eh, okay, I was a kid, but I thought it was okay. Yeah. But then I went back and I sort of watched and read all the lore for the 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, it's amazing. Yeah. And I loved it. It's so good. Such great world building. Such great editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, such great fucking character development. Yeah. We got Han Solo. Mm-hmm. I, I, arguably one of the most iconic characters in all of film history. Yeah. I mean, he's universally known he as the guy that shot first. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely is. And I, and I, I fucking loved it. Yeah. And then I watched, uh, I, I watched A New Hope before I watched Seven. Uh, I'm going to ask you about New Hope because I've been hearing a lot of people compare um, Force Awakens to New Hope. That's exactly what I'm bringing up. I'm going to talk about Sowers and then I'm going to get back to that because mm-hmm. I think it's bullshit. Okay, good. Uh, but I watched New Hope mm-hmm. before I watched uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah. And New Hope was a... It, it wasn't a revenge story. The trilogy, the first trilogy was a revenge story mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of redemption and really good action. Yeah. That's, I think that's what those movies are for me. And A New Hope, it wasn't the best Star Wars movie. I think I think that belongs to The Empire Strikes Back. But A New Hope was a very interesting movie because it did all it had to do with the action and it presented every character perfectly. Yeah. And it had it didn't have a lot of comedic moments, but it, it was funny. It was a funny movie. And Han Solo brought that to the movie. But now, cut back to The Force Awakens after we got really three disappointment disappointing prequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have a movie that's bringing the comedy back. And it's bringing the good action back. And it's bringing good filmmaking back. Yeah. It's bringing clever lighting back to the movie. It's yeah. bringing masterfully directed action shots in the movie, which was my favorite part. I've Action movies have pissed me off lately. Action movies have completely turned me off. What, the, like the, how they cut away from action, basically? Yeah, how they're doing implied action instead yeah. of showing the action. They watch the action, uh, yeah. Transformers is really good to others. The mm. first movie, was, I think, was good. The first movie showed... A fair bit of white shots. Mm. But then the second and third movie, it, it's cut money. It's a safe money. Was that Michael Bay? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't like a, a lot of Michael Bay films, but the first Transformer is one of them. The first Transformer, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And, but they're doing this thing where they, they imply the action. They cut in the frame where the punch is supposed to hit. Yeah. And then they cut away when the punch is going away. Yeah. And it's fucking annoying. Because yeah. you're not getting it. You're not seeing that anything hurts. Mm-mm. Just kind of like, all right, I know that it's happening, but I don't feel the risk. Yeah. Star Wars 7 fixed that to me the actions were beautifully shot yeah. every single action scene served as a vehicle to character development yeah. in Star Wars yep. and and that's what that's why people are comparing it to the New Hope I think because the New Hope did that very well it did. everything that happened in New Hope in terms of action was to advance this character forward The and everything that happened in the trilogies every fight with Darth Vader mm. was given us a, a, a character arc so in for example in I think it's the last one yeah the last one when mm. luke cuts up vader's hand yeah and is about to kill him and i think it's who the fuck is standing there palpatine uh i think it's palpatine yeah palpatine yeah, it is, yeah. he's standing there and he's like kill him and that's the thing that's gonna make anik uh, luke decide whether he goes dark or he goes light yep and he sees himself in his character's shopped hand because he is missing a hand himself yeah and i was like shit i can't kill this guy he's my dad yeah and that's that whole action sequence was so emotion-filled and so dramatic. Yeah. And it was so good to watch because you felt the struggle of that character. 
Something the prequels didn't have. It didn't come across the same way with uh, with Han, you know, in the um, in that bridge. Thing. I don't know if we're going to be giving yeah. away the Star this Star Wars this either. Is, let, let me know, just say it's a spoiler filled discussion. Yeah, it's okay. been a month and a it half. Is. I yeah. think people can yeah. we can talk about it. Yeah, it, the the emotion didn't translate the same way as it did uh, earlier with uh, with Luke and his father, you know, with Han and and his son. But um, it was the same effect, you know. They they were going for the same thing. It didn't hit home as hard for me. You know, but but I think that's because the scene with Han and Kylo wasn't wasn't the emotional payoff of the movie. No, I think the was, scene no. with Ray and Kylo at the at end, the end that was the emotional payoff. Yeah, I think the Han Solo scene, the Han Solo and mm. Kylo, yeah, hit home because fucking Han Solo. I mean, he's not gonna be in the movies anymore. Yeah, uh, but that that was I think that was a risky that was a very risky choice that paid off at the end. It did pay off yeah. um, because we know that I feel like that was J.J. Abrams acknowledging. That the old movies were a thing, but now he's moving in his own direction. Yeah, I think I that, that that's what that scene meant to me. I could definitely see that, yeah. and, and I'm excited for it. But what? Okay, what did you think about Star Wars: Force Awakens? I know I loved it. I was a huge fan. Uh, I mean, I wasn't the hugest Star Wars fan growing up. I um, I started watching Star Wars when the uh, when the prequels were coming out. You know, so um, as soon as the first prequel was coming out, I went back and watched the original Star Wars movies back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Watched all three of these. Then went to see the first prequel, and then started seeing them at the movies after that. Okay. Know? So um, I've seen all the movies maybe twice. You know, each one twice. Um, for me, it's like it's not a part of my childhood. It's a part of more of my adult life because I started watching them as an adult. So I mean, it's like the one series that I really don't involve myself in that much. You know, it's like I I, I go there, I sit back, and then I just let the movie happen. Yeah. I don't I don't analyze it. I'm not thinking about the relationship between this and this too much. I just want to be in, engulfed into their universe, mm-hmm. you know, for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, and be entertained by it. Though that's one of the few series of, of movies that I can do that with. And arguably, it's interesting because you say that you don't like action very much. Very true, yeah. But Star Wars is arguably an action movie. It is, yeah. And you really like Star Wars. Yeah, because because it's not mindless action. The action, whenever there is action, is to progress the story. Okay. You know, so I know what you mean. yeah. So I mean, in, in Star Wars, it's like so. I mean, I don't have to look away or go take a piss during the action scenes. You know, like Expendables, where they're going to be blowing things up for <laughs> the next fifteen minutes anyway. So, but but in Star Wars, it's just it's progressing the story with action. So I have no problem with that, and it was amazing. You know, I mean, it's 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 probably one of the better films. One of the better film experiences that I've had. I can't say it's the best film that I've seen in years, but mm-hmm. it's the best I've felt walking out of a theater after seeing that movie in quite a while. I feel like that's an accurate accurate statement yeah. because that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Uh, it might be might be my top film of 2015, mm-hmm. but it might not be the best film of 2015. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, but I walked in excited. I watched as little trailers as I could. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate trailers now. Yeah. We're going to have an episode about trailers. Uh, where I talk specifically about trailers and film reviewers because those two things are pissing me off in the industry. Um, but I didn't watch as I watched as little trailers as I could for Star Wars, mm. and I wa- and I read as little reviews as I could for Star Wars. Yeah. I wanted to go in the movie not knowing what to expect mm. uh, because I didn't like Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams version. Um, I didn't like it. I thought it was a bit. Yeah, we can get into that another day because yeah. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, but I was worried about Star Wars because I didn't feel like Star Trek was as strong as it could have been. Okay. And when I walked into Star Wars, I was like, oh, maybe this won't be as good. I'm managing my expectations. Yeah. But I walked out fucking loving Star Wars. Nice. Because it was funny. It was witty. It the was action funny. was well done. The filmmaking was fucking great. Yeah. And 
it was just I was excited the whole movie. I was never sort of laid back mm. and just watching a thing. I was always kind of like involved in what was happening the entire time. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it felt really good. You did, and I feel like now we're going because that was what film was before we had this mindless years of blah, action yeah. and and remakes and young dystopian literature. Yeah, and I feel like now film is kind of like all right, well, no, that didn't work. Let's go back to what made films great and let's yeah. bring back that good old sort of film feeling. Yeah, and that's where Sowers did it for me. Sowers set a really good precedent for that. Yeah. And I, and I liked it. It was just a good fucking movie. I do. And it was adorable. BB-8 was my favorite <sighs> character in that movie, amazing. I think. And you know the scene when he goes, like, John Boyer is, like, giving him a thumbs up oh, for lying? Oh, it takes a lighter. Oh, <laughs> it takes a fucking lighter? Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. It's the little subtleties that, first of all, the prequels lacked. Mm. And that just those little subtleties that make a movie come alive. Because yeah. every character feels real and relatable. And, and not to mention that, first of all, this is a movie with a young female lead yeah. and a black actor yeah. uh, in yeah. Star Wars in Star Wars in fucking Star Wars the biggest arguably the biggest franchise yeah. and nobody had a problem with it yeah I mean and I don't feel like they should either I yeah mean, if, I don't think so either. but you'd expect some lashback you would, yeah I guess you would yeah and it yeah. didn't happen no so no. I, I it, it was just a beautiful thing yeah from the moment this movie was announced everyone was scared about it mm-hmm. and it turned out to be one of the most beautiful film experiences that I had in 2015 yeah Fuck, I can't talk. 2015. Yeah. And uh, J.J. Abrams, I applaud you. You did a fucking fantastic job with that movie. You sure I'll do it. Anything that you want to say about it? Um, more about, about Star Wars? Uh, no, like I said, I mean, it was the best film experience. Like, leaving out the, the last time that I can remember going to the movie, seeing a movie, and walking out feeling great was... um, What's the one with uh, Chris Pratt? Guardians of the Galaxy. Of the Galaxy. Yeah. That was a great. That was another really good movie. Yeah. Out yeah. of 2015. Like I had no expectations of Guardians of the Galaxy at all. Walked in and then, like I said, I had the same feeling. When I walked out, I was like, "Wow." But, I mean, <laughs> but, but the thing is, I, I want to see if I have that feeling with Guardians too, like the next yeah. one. You know, because it's just a thing because where they created a universe and they have the rules of that universe. So I mean, I'm very much engulfed into what's going on, trying to understand what the rules of these universes, who can do what, and you know, and, and that thing. But what is going to happen once you already know the rules yeah. in, in the next movie? And I, I think that's... All right, let's talk about superhero movies now. All right. Because uh, I love them, mm-hmm. but they're pissing me off. Right. <laughs> and here's why. Guardians of the Galaxy is a very good example of what a good superhero movie is. Yes. Uh, you know, you don't know nothing about these characters. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a hardcore comic reading, reading fan, you really know nothing about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And then James Gunn came in and he gave us this movie where he explains what every character is. Mm-hmm. You get the backstory of every character. It's not preachy about any of the backstories. You just kind of get them naturally. Mm-hmm. And then the dynamics of this character is built up really, really well. It was. And you get a villain that's not really all that interesting. But the actor that plays him is great. He pays. Yeah. Uh, you get a character that's not that interesting. But that doesn't matter mm-hmm. because your, your main characters are so interesting. So yeah. it balances out. And, and, I, and I thought that Guardians of the Galaxy did that very well, and it built the universe really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, and it was good action. Who knew? Who knew that Chris Pratt could co- like could carry an entire movie and now franchise? Like, right? You know, from the chubby, tall guy on the <laughs> Parks and Recreation, and now he's like carrying uh, one of the biggest movies to ever hit the world in Jurassic World. You yeah. know, he's carrying Guardians of the Galaxy. He's carrying a Lego movie. Oh, know, that was Chris Pratt, too. That was too. Chris Pratt, too. Yeah, you know? he did a really good job in that shit. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's he's becoming a blooming superstar at this point. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I really appreciate Chris Pratt's career. He's oh, yeah. he's good. And he's never he's never shitty. No. He's a good guy. He seems like a genuine he's good guy. He's a fucking good guy. Yeah. And but Guardians of the Galaxy did just that. Yeah. Build a universe from scratch. Yep. And you were like, okay, I can I can be in this universe. Mm-hmm. Let's see what it's got. Yep. And Avengers did that. The first one. Yeah. The first, the first one did that really amazing. well. I fucking loved Avengers. Yep. Uh it was just called Avengers, right? They didn't have something. Yeah, it was just the Avengers. Uh that was my favorite uh, Marvel film, mm-hmm. and uh, then Avengers two came up, and Age it fell flat. Yeah. yeah, and it felt flat because of that. Because the characters were already built, mm-hmm. and you know you gotta keep these characters alive yeah. because you're gonna need them for another movie because you're setting up a bigger universe. Yeah, so they become sort of things that you churn out to keep the characters alive, mm-hmm. but they're really there's no risk to them. Exactly, there's no sort of arc anymore because the arc happened on the first movie. Yeah. The, the other thing that happens, there's a formula now. Yeah. And it's like, uh, Avengers get together, they're working together, someone does something, usually Tony, no, does something, things. and then they get separated, they fight, mm-hmm. and then they go like, oh, teamwork makes the dream work, <laughs> and then they get together, they solve the problem, and now they're together again, except in this movie, they just Doing the disbanded. Yeah. Uh, but now we have another Avengers, mm-hmm. uh, another group of Avengers. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that we get some of that back. But superhero movies are doing that now, and they're becoming sort of stale. Superhero movies, but the thing that uh, we've been talking about was great. The the best thing that I've seen happen with with this so far is Netflix. Oh, Netflix has been amazing. Amazing. Daredevil. I mean, I wasn't even a huge Daredevil fan. You know, I mean, I knew full well of Daredevil, but I mean, I wasn't a Daredevil fan. Neither was I. You know, but after seeing the series on Netflix, amazing five star. Highly recommend to see that. Jessica Jones, you know, that was very, very good as well. Jessica Jones is my favorite Netflix original series. Wow. Yeah. That says a lot. There's a yeah, lot of Netflix. Yeah, because there's the House of Cards. Yeah. It's original. Arrested Development is also now Netflix it, original. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is now. Uh, what else? We got Daredevil, which Dare- was equally as good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Luke Cage is coming out soon. With Luke Cage. Man. Yeah. That's coming out uh, this year. Which is the same dude that played him in Jessica Jones. Yeah, right? the exact same guy. That guy. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that guy. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good. good. Yeah. Um, okay, but... You were going to, it looks like you were going on a tangent about Netflix and I stopped. Oh, you know, I mean, just that the Netflix is taking and giving us exactly what we want in a movie, but stretching it out and giving it to us in a series. You know, so I mean, I don't don't mind if I have to watch it, you know, over a period of time in a series as opposed to on a big screen in a theater. Just do it right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I feel like Netflix is doing. I'm absolutely in love with the way Netflix is handling content and, and the way that it's handling characters. Yeah. Because uh, every single character, Daredevil not as much. Daredevil mm-hmm. had his flaws with characters. Some other characters were a little flat. Okay. Uh, but the the ones that mattered really, uh, the main three dudes and Fisk. Yeah. Were were really good. They were fucking fantastic. That's I forgot cool. the actor of the guy that played Fisk. Um, yeah, he was really good. Yeah, but he was amazing. Yeah. Probably my favorite villain in in recent like superhero lore. Um, no, Kilgrave. Kil- that goes to Kilgrave for me. Oh, the villain. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Daredevil did something really good, and it set a precedence. And I think that it mattered. Mm-hmm. It showed that you can make a dark and gritty superhero movie uh, series without the cheese. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, everything felt real. All the dialogue was good. All the characters mattered. And I think that Netflix took what they learned from Daredevil, mm-hmm. and they put it to the next level in Jessica Jones. I didn't even notice something until you just said it just now, mm-hmm. that um, in Daredevil, you had the three characters who had lots of character development. You know, they had a lot of depth. Then uh, looking at Jessica Jones, all of those characters have depth. 
Yeah. You know, looking at it now, I mean, I, I like Daredevil a lot more than Jessica Jones. But now that you're saying that, it's not just Jessica's character. It's not just Luke's character. It's not just her sister. It's not just a lawyer. It's everyone that's on screen yeah. for more than five minutes has really good character development. They do, you know. So, yeah, that was my point. I mean, yeah, Netflix is doing an amazing job. Yeah. We might not be getting it in theaters the way that we want. But, I mean, we're, we're still have movies coming out. Batman, Superman might be something worth might watching. Suicide Squad is coming soon. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. I'm excited for that one. Then, uh... Deadpool. And Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool. And Deadpool is coming out really soon, too. And But here's the thing that the two movies that I'm more excited about have mm-hmm. in common. Suicide Squad, Deadpool, mm-hmm. and then Jessica Jones. So let's mm-hmm. look at what all those characters have in common. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very simple. They're just well written. They're, <laughs> they're they're just really well written. Who would have knew <laughs> that if you write if you write something well, then people will like it. Like you can put as many spins as you want yeah. to any of those movies. You can find as many angles as you want. Yeah. But truth of the fact is, they're just simply really well written. They are. And Jessica Jones specifically does something really well mm. with female characters. They write female characters mm. the way that we're used to seeing male characters. Yeah. And it works. It fuck. Who would have fucking thunk? That treating women like people in a film would make them work. No way. Who would have fucking thought? No way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Netflix has been doing it right for me ever since they started working with House of Cards. Yeah. Uh, They've just been doing it right. They write, they hire really good writers, really good directors. They give them artistic freedom. Yeah. And we see the results. And and, And as a consequence of that, cable's falling short, cinema's falling short. Yeah. Uh, they're losing viewers because people like Netflix know what the viewers want. They're yeah. listening to us. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's really important when you're making films. I think you hit on something too just now in making film and is what I've been trying to get into in writing is writing a character. Yeah. Just the character. It doesn't mean you're not writing a gender or a race. You're writing a character. You know, so I mean... Jessica Jones, you can take that white lady out and put it in an Asian man. Yeah, you know, it'll still like, work. Exactly, it will still work. You're writing for a character. And I mean, regardless of, of who's playing that character, I mean, it's very well written. Same with, you can do that with any character in that show. And yes, you, could, you can. Uh, you can do the same with Kilgrave, with Luke. Yeah. You can put a fucking white midget in Luke's character. Yeah, and it still works. And it will still work. Yeah. Uh, Great so writing. I, I, I fucking loved it. It's really good writing. Uh, the writer was a woman, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Melissa, I forgot her name. I Melissa her name. Cartwright, I think. Yeah. Uh, but she's she's fucking amazing uh, as a showrunner. So that's the kind of shit I want to see more, yeah. uh, just in general. I want to see that kind of quality writing, that fucking soul and passion for filmmaking that I feel like has been lost lately. And that's why I want to go into films. I want to make that caliber of show. And plus, Kristen Ritter is hot. I mean, yeah, I have she to is give really, her that. She really is. Uh, I mean, it's, she's not hard on the eyes. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's inter- I, that's another thing that I noticed about that show because mm-hmm. it gave eye candy to everyone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> you had you had a white lead, you had two white leads, you mm-hmm. had a really bulky, strong black lead, yep. and then you have Kilgrave, a really sophisticated sort of British guy. Yeah. And I, 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 all those characters did everything for me. They work for me. And Kilgrave is my favorite superhero villain that I've seen because he's not evil for the purpose of being evil is evil because he had fucked up things happen to him and he discovered he could do a thing that no one can <laughs> I think like one of my favorite lines in the series she's like Kilgrave whether you what was a uh, murder corpse taken <laughs> yeah. you know it was just like so self-aware you know <laughs> it really was and uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously I think no. that's another problem yeah. and my favorite line from Kilgrave in the show mm. and it's gonna be a stupid line he was watching a soccer game mm. in the, this family's house and he's like ah oh, come on you gender twat <laughs> and I was like ah oh, shit that was a really bad fucking accent <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's my favorite line in any movie. Yeah. And it's little moments like that. You don't have to put moments like that in film mm. or in, in any scene. But yeah. they're the ones that solidify a character. It does. When we're alone with it, with them on screen, and when we're not with them on screen, they feel like they're doing something else in that world. That's good writing. One of my favorite uh, scenes in a Woody Allen movie, and um, it's called Annie Hall. Jeff Goldblum makes a three-second cameo. It's one of the first movies he was ever in. It's only three seconds. And as Woody Allen is walking past Jeff Goldblum, he's on a cell phone staring at the wall. And he's, um, I, I, I forgot my mantra. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you know, that was it. You know, it's like stuff like that. It's like I, I love. Yeah, know? it's it's a little details. Uh, yeah. I think you can do a lot of the things with filmmaking if you focus on the broad aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. But when you really dive into a scene and you see that little thing, that little yeah. sort of makes the character go come alive. It and does, that, and that's what that's that's what we're missing. Yeah, from really big films now. Yeah, and I want it. Uh, some that's what Die Hard had it. Yeah, that's what good movies have when you look at it. They do. Die Hard had it. You know, your character was you can relate to him. Yeah. Uh, the villain in Die Hard, holy shit, he was uh, pretty awesome. Inside Man had it. The yeah. subtleties of the characters. Yeah. Uh, just watched that film recently in class. Mm. Really good fucking movie. If you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, what other one of my favorite Reservoir Dog had it. Yeah. Uh, you could really tell the subtlety of the characters, and mm. it was great. I fucking loved it. We're missing that. We need more of that. Yeah. So if you're a filmmaker out there and you happen to be listening to this. Study that shit and put it in your writing because yeah, it's good. Please. All right. Anything? Uh, I know I, I went on a long ramble about the shit that I like. Anything that you want to mention from last year that's caught your attention? Uh, from the last year, uh, in television, a few shows. One show is going off the air. It's called The Leftovers. I love that show. It's from the um, from the same people that made Lost. It's a really good show. I is mean, it the same director and same writer, or is it? Uh, I believe it's just the same producer. Producer, Same producer, but I'll, I'll have to look into that. Okay. Yeah, but um, it's it's as long as long as you're into a mystery and not knowing what the fuck is going on <laughs> at any point, then this is a great show show to watch. They're canceling it after season three, but the good thing is, at least they know they're on a hiatus right now. And um, and at, at the end of season two, you know, so the good thing is that they'll have closure at the end of season three instead of just being up in the air. You never yeah. knew. It's not gonna be a firefly situation. It, oh, God, <laughs> oh, Josh Wheaton. <laughs> They fucked him so bad. He's so good at making shows that don't last long. Yeah. Yeah. He had a show called The Dollhouse that I really, really, really liked. Really great show, too. I loved it. And they cut that. Cut that like, shit down, too. Uh, um, but you uh, tell us a little more about The Leftover. Because it's, it's, it's a show that I don't think a lot of people know about. They don't because it's getting canceled. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. yeah, people are not watching this show. But um, because there's so much mystery wrapped around it. Uh, pretty much um, uh, the beginning is um, a good number of people are sucked up into heaven, you know, which would be similar to what the rapture would be, you know. So a good amount of people are, you know, sucked up into heaven, and there are only so many people left on earth. Those people left on earth, you know, they're just left looking around like they were holding their child's hand, and now they have an empty hand, and, you know, there's <laughs> nobody there. Yeah, like they literally just disappear. But then after a short amount of time, you know, of grieving and thinking that these people are dead, they all return, you know, after like a couple of weeks or whatever, you know, and they all return in wearing all white, and they're calling themselves the guilty remnant, and they're there to remind you that the world is over. You okay. know that they're already, the world is already over. So they're just continually smoking cigarettes, and they will not speak to anyone. You know they'll they'll write on a piece of paper to communicate whatever they need to communicate. You know, but um, pretty much you're just trying to find out what's going on there. Like why would why would these people um taken? Was it heaven? What did they go to purgatory? What's going on with that? But besides that, is graphic. I mean, this is probably one of the most graphic television shows that I've ever seen in my life. 
You okay. know, I mean, when, when they they have a scene to where one of the uh, the guilty remnant is stoned to death, and they show it. They don't cut away from the stones smashing her face as she is blood curdlingly found. Pretty pretty much, they they tie her, they tie her to the tree, you know, to finally get her to speak. You mm-hmm. know, because she won't that she won't speak. They tie her to the so tree. So this is a group of desperate people. Yeah. Yeah, because this. they don't understand what's going on around them. Yeah. You know that these people disappeared and now they've come back as a guilty remnant and won't explain anything to anyone, you know. So they finally, they trap this woman, tie her up to a tree to see if they can torture her to make her make any kind of audible sound. Mm-hmm. You know, so they begin stoning her to death, like biblical, you know, yeah. biblical stoning, you know, until she finally screams out in pain. Still not saying no, but just from the pain screaming, blood curling toward the skin is peeling off of her face and is just see bone yeah. and skeleton. And they show it. And they show it. Damn. I mean, it's like the only thing that I could think of close to something like that would be, do you watch Game of Thrones at all? Uh, no, but another way to handle those character deaths and uh, how it does everything on camera. It does it really well. Uh, yeah, for, for the most part. But when it, um, when it comes to certain things, they still won't show, even on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, on the last season, there was a small child, a girl. She had a, uh, she had a disease to where it made her skin turn gray. It was like grayscale or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. You know, for um, and serious circumstances ended up having to where they needed to sacrifice uh, the child. You know, she okay. was the, the daughter of a king. So when they went to burn her at the stake, they showed her at the stake, but then they cut away from the fire. Yeah, so you don't see her actually burning and screaming, Mm -hmm. you know, or um, in The Walking Dead, when Carol uh, takes the girl that uh, that killed her little sister, Mm -hmm. and she's clearly crazy, and she takes her out to the pastor and shoots her in the back of the head. You know, you have the imagery of that happening, but you don't physically see her with the gun to the back of the head. It's implied. It's implied. Yeah. With the leftovers, nothing is implied. Like, you see what is happening, and it's very, very graphic. You know, so that sounds interesting. I, was, I think I might check that out. Cause it was, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting. It's a really good show. Comic. It's just you won't know what the fuck is going on and why. But it's amazing <laughs> to look at. And one other show was um, Master of None. Aziz Ansari. I heard about that one. Yeah. yeah, that's really really good. I didn't know what uh, if he could handle carrying his own show on his own. But I mean, it's amazing. If we're talking about diversity. I mean, we have him being an Indian guy. Uh, one of the co-stars is uh, a black lesbian uh, woman. <laughs> uh, the other character is an uh, overweight, white, redhead ginger guy. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's... it's, it's the, 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 Sounds like the setup to, like, one of those jokes you tell at a bar. Yeah, yeah. It's like a you, fat ginger guy, a black lesbian, and an Indian <laughs> walking to a bar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but what's, what's, what makes it good is just, like, whenever I see... Like, I don't, I don't agree with forced diversity, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, I wouldn't want to see... Um, DMX hanging with Ross and Chandler from Friends yeah. in an episode I'm like what what's, what world are they hanging out in you know but in, in Master of None it's like I can see Aziz Ansari hanging with these collection of, of people and it really works okay. and as far as how they shoot it I mean it's it's a um, what is it um, I can't think of the style of the shot but it's low lit it looks very nice it looks it's very a, artsy it's a, similar to the way Louis or Marin is shot because um, it's, it's along the same lines of comedy. It's Louis and Mark Madden's show. I mean, it's it's um, it's it's a little more optimistic as far yeah. as the tone, but um, filming it, it looks a little darker as far as the way it's filmed. You know, but I, I gotta check that out because I know that Seasons has gotten a lot of praise for that show. It's amazing, and I, I like a Seasons as a comic, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen him as an actor that much. This this show is better than anything I've ever seen him do. Better than the two stand up comedy special that I've seen on Netflix. Better than the. He was in Parks and Recreation. Parks and Rex, yeah. yeah, like better than all of that. It's very, very, very good. Like this stands alone, and I think he's headed in the right direction. That's awesome. Uh, what about you? For as far as shows that came out, mm-hmm. film definitely Star Wars, mm-hmm. and definitely Hateful Eight were good ones. Yeah, 
And I, there were a couple of movies that I couldn't catch, but I'm looking to watch like The Big Short and Spotlight. Yep. Uh, those were two movies that I didn't catch that I really, really, really want to watch. Yeah. Um, but as far as television shows, I recently discovered Mark Maron's Netflix show. Yep. And holy fucking shit, I am in love with that goddamn show. So. It is so good. Mm-hmm. And, like, first of all, I'm, I, I love dark comedy. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're a dark humor person... Yeah. Uh, and you make a show, you're probably going to catch me in. I love Louis. Mm. Uh, I can't watch the show for Louis because it's so cringy. Mm. Uh, I can't do it because it physically hurts. Because okay. yeah. <laughs> I know what it feels like to be in situations like that. Yeah. So I can do it. Yeah. Um, but that's what Louis does. Louis does. Louis plays with your sense of uncomfortable. With the uncomfortable, yes. He's and he does it really well. The best. And as a result, I can't watch the show. Okay. Yeah. But Mark Maron... Uh, is angry. Mm-hmm. He's angry at the world. He's the angry Jew. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what he is. He's a fucking angry Jewish guy. Yeah. And and I watch his stand-up because I know that Mark had a complicated life. He had this whole thing with drugs. Yeah. And then he came back and sort of started getting popularity and started redeeming himself yeah. with the people that he fucked over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, when you take that into consideration, I can see why his worldview is so fucked up. Yeah. Um, but the way he presents the show, it's just like it's really well shot it doesn't doesn't do a lot of fancy shots. No, it's not fancily filmed, mm. but visually the the editing and the and the writing work really well together. It does. Uh, and he's got this one line in the first episode. Uh, Dennis Leary asked him, uh, "How how how are you? How's your self esteem?" And oh. he was like, "I'm I mean I hate myself, but it's okay." Mm. And so immediately you get the time for the show. I mean, this is a guy that's trying to figure out how to make a podcast and grow his own podcast and yep. be a comic. And not be the angry Jew that he is. Yeah. He's trying to figure that shit out. Yeah. And it doesn't really work. Because mm-hmm. he's... That's what he is. He's just an angry person. Yeah. And he sees the shitty the shitty things in the world. And he tries to take comfort in them. Yeah. And that's why I like that brand of comedy. It's really, really well-written show. Really well-delivered. Yeah. Mark Barron as an actor is... Re- he's playing himself. But as an actor, he's really good. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I think it takes talent to play yourself. Because you're playing an exaggerated version of you. Yeah. Uh, so I think... I think that's one of my favorite shows. And talking about, and Marin also did uh, Thinky Pain, really yep. good sound commercial. Yep. And a couple of books that, that he's written, uh, Jerusalem Syndrome, I didn't read that one, but Attempting Normal, I did read, which was really, really, really good. I I mean, gotta, do you have a copy of that? I might, I might have a copy of the house, yeah. yeah. If you have a copy, I'll take it, because I've been meaning to, to read it. Uh, so, Mark Marin's my favorite comic yeah. lately. He's just, as far as comedy goes, he's my favorite. Uh, as of right now that's really in for a television show apart from Jessica Jones yeah. and and Marin I haven't really been watching a lot because mm. a lot of the content doesn't particularly interest me no uh, which is it's kind of sad and I started watching Arrow uh, Arrow from CW yeah uh, and it's a soap opera with yeah. superheroes that's what it is The Walking Dead I couldn't get into it when it came out I still can't you, get into it The Walking Dead? I can't I cannot get into The Fucking Walking Dead we're like an hour and a half in and you just <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the walking dead? I can't do it. Whoa. Yeah, and it's not anything that's wrong with the show. Mm. It's just that I don't care about zombies anymore. No, well, I mean, it's not even about zombies, though. Not at this that's point. the problem. It mm. tries to be a zombie show mm. that's not entirely focused on zombies. It's not. And yeah. so, like, I don't care about... I don't like any other character except Rick. You have to... Yeah, I don't even like... Uh, Rick's not my guy. Yeah. What's the name? Uh, <laughs> Carol is uh, my guy. The uh, a white lady, kind of bald white lady. The, yeah, I know who she is. She was the one that was abused by her husband at yeah. the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's I mean, pretty nice, yeah. I'm, that's my favorite character, her and, uh, her and Carl. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just couldn't get into it, and it's a shame. And I've tried. I fucking tried. I've watched. I season one was good. 
Season one was really good. Well, let's not go too far into it because yeah. we can go do a whole episode on Walking Dead. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's not get into it too much. You could bring any guests right. in for that. We're too. about five minutes away from closing. Let me uh, let me uh, some TV premieres that are coming out and some movies that are coming out uh, this this coming week before we podcast again. Right, do it uh, for the week of January twenty eighth through February the third. Uh, first uh, this, on the CW, they have the Originals and Vampire Diaries coming back on Friday the twenty ninth. Um, I'm not a big fan of either shows, but my girlfriend loves them both. So if we have any girl listeners, then I'm sure you'll get into it. On uh, Sunday, the 31st of January, um, they're doing a rendition of Grease. It's going to be Grease Live. I will be checking that out. Super that gay. A... Yes. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that going to be a, a play? Uh, yeah, like a stage, a, play. a stage where play. Where is it? I don't know where they're going to be doing it. I don't know. Okay. No. But I mean, it's kind of like how they did the Wiz Live. They I mean, just another right. version of it. Yeah. Um, next, on Tuesday, on February the 2nd, is going to be The People versus O.J. Simpson. Uh, that's going to be a miniseries uh, starring Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, it's important for me just because I was alive, like, in cognizant of everything that was going on when the O.J. stuff was happening. Like, I was literally at home on a Friday evening at around 7 or 8 o'clock, and I was watching this thing called TGIF. It was called Thank God It's Friday, this, um, this station on ABC or NBC at the time. I was watching Family Matters. Well, Family Matters was going off and Step by Step was coming on. And they interrupted Step by Step to show a white Bronco driving down the interstate for like 45 minutes to an hour. I missed out on a complete episode of Step by Step that I'll never get back. It's not even on Netflix, so yeah. I don't even know what happened now. Fuck you, OJ. You <laughs> yeah, interrupted OJ. my goddamn show. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so anyway, yeah. Um, the People vs. OJ Simpson, uh, February, Tuesday on the 2nd. Uh, that's all for that week. Um, as far as the movies that are released this week, Kung Fu Panda 3. Didn't see the first two, but if they keep on making them, something, they must be doing something right there, you know? I just watched a review for Kung Fu Panda 3 before we started. Yeah. People say it's a solid trilogy now. It's nice. a really good trilogy for families. Well, that's good for Jack Black. I'm yeah. glad he's out here doing stuff. That's nice. And then uh, lastly is uh, Fifty Shades of Black. I'm, all... <laughs> I'm actually... I saw the poster for that one three weeks ago. Yeah. And first I was like, all right, what the fuck? And then I was like, eh, maybe I should check this out. It may, it may be it may be funny enough. I mean, um, they're, the Wayne's family is all into parodies and spoofs, so I mean, I'm sure it'll be funny enough. Fifty Shades of Black by Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans. All right, is that everything that's coming out this week? That's everything that's coming out this week. All right, sweet. I'm excited. I'm definitely going to, I think I'm going to check out Kung Fu Panda. I'm excited for that one. And I'm going to check out the O.J. Simpson thing. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and let's, let's, let's give a, let's close something. B.O.B., uh, man. B.O.B. Oh, my God. What the fuck? So, we're going to go into the, the <laughs> epic fail of the week. B.O.B. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a weekly segment of epic fails. This one right here is just starting it off. Oh, like, man. this is like one of the biggest fails that I've seen in, in some time. How do you get to be a 27-year-old man and believe that the earth is flat. Not only a 27-year-old man, mm -hmm. but a 27-year-old professional rapper. Yeah, professional, yes. Professional rapper. I mean, mm -hmm. you're in the industry with really smart people. You're really smart at making music. Yes. Because he is really good at what he does. He is. He's very talented. But what the fuck, B.O.B.? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, okay, listen. I, I appreciate that you took the time to watch a couple YouTube videos telling yeah. you that the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. um, but when an astrophysicist tells you on Twitter mm -hmm. that the earth is not flat, yeah. You might want to fact check what you're saying. I don't know. Maybe they're paying Neil deGrasse Tyson off. You know? <laughs> you know? He's trying to keep us away from the edges. <laughs> the Illuminati. Yeah. The Illuminati don't want, don't want us to know that the earth is flat. <laughs> we'll be jumping off that bitch. But, okay. <laughs> so this thing. Fucking B.O.B. went on a 17 like, Twitter post right Yeah, he did. It's hilarious. Yeah. 
Neil deGrasse Tyson fired back and say, listen, just because you think like the way we thought 500 years ago doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we can't like your music. Yeah. But then B.O.B. put out a diss track yes, towards Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. called, what's it, Flatline? Flatline. Called Flatline. Mm-hmm. So that, that fucking happened. First of all, that's amazing. That happens. We have a rapper dissing a we fucking have a science beef. We have yeah. a rap science beef. <laughs> yes. That and then happen. Neil deGrasse Tyson's nephew yeah. came in and dropped another diss track mm-hmm. towards B.L.B. called like a Flat, flat to, to Fat. fat. <laughs> yeah. Like straight Weird Al Yankovic style. I mean, completely going in and roasting B.O.B. <laughs> 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 it's, it's pretty funny just because of the subject matter like I don't think there's a single swear in it whatsoever no I mean it's just straight breaking him down through science yeah it's science <laughs> you know? it's, it's incredible it is and if, if uh, go check it out you'll certainly laugh yeah uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson thank you for the shit that's been my favorite thing that's happened this yeah, year hilarious and uh, I'm uh, with that the year's turning off like that I'm, I'm want to know what the fuck's happening yeah. like by the end of the year yeah because this year is going to be amazing yeah. <laughs> if that's anything to say uh, I think that's all we have to say today. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, we talked about the uh, the Oscars, B.O.B. Um, yeah. That's it? I think we're good. All right, sweet. So thank you for joining us on the first episode of For Film's Sake. This is going to be a weekly podcast where me and Chris talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. Yep. Usually pertaining to film or TV, we mm. use bad language, and we say shit. Yep. So thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And I hope you're back next week. Yep. Have a good one, folks. Later. Thanks. Thanks.